Hey everybody, it's Lou Zant. And this is Meredith Griffin. And welcome to another episode of Major Crush. Here we are, season six. I am not going to say excited, I'm going to say pumped. I'm pumped, pumped up, man. I'm going to say honored. Honored. I'm oh, honored. I like that. These are good descriptors. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I love this guy. I love it. I carry his wines at the Cheese Factory and we sell the dog out of them. I mean, people love them. It's unbelievable. So today's guest is Ross Cobb, mm-hmm. and uh, he's from, like, in Hillsborough, right? You live up in, up in Occidental. In Occidental, all the way up to Sonoma Coast. Well, yeah. you know what? That's what Alex told me, too. Yeah. His, his label is Cobb Wines. Just want to make sure we get that out there, his primary label, Cobb Wines. So, Good thinking. Um, I wonder what they taste like. I don't know. I, I think we're going to get an opportunity to taste those. I hope so. Well, you know, we were led to you by our, a friend of ours in New Orleans, Mary Taylor, who spoke so highly of you. So again, thrilled, honored, pumped, excited to have you here. <laughs> and so, I've had a lot of friends. We have a lot of mutual friends. And uh, a lot of people say, man, you got to meet Ross Cobb. And honestly, I've, try, I've called to try to come out twice this year. And both times you guys were like in the middle of... of bottling or something was going on okay i'm sorry we couldn't but please do come out we we do uh tastings in our uh, lounge in sebastopol by appointment oh beautiful um but when we we have a uh, picnic table area out at coastlands vineyard looking over bodega bay well that's that's where we do our kind of vip tastings it's typically me it's our house my wife and daughter and i live in this house above the coastlands vineyard of uh, and you look out on bodega so keep trying how do we get a vip how do i get to be a vip Come to you're, that you're now on. I you're now on speed dial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, you guys God. wait till you hear about this guy, man. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna catch a flight probably this weekend. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming here. We're sitting in the barn. Um, everyone's familiar. We've done a few episodes here in this beautiful barn overlooking the vineyard, but I do want to let everyone know there's a little bit of a wind breeze in the air and yeah. we've got the doors open. So if you hear some wind, just know we yeah. apologize, but just set the stage for you. But let's dive in. We always like to start at the beginning, Ross. Like Yeah, the once upon a time. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I am a third generation, some would say fourth generation home winemaker from my father and my grandfather and my great grandfather. Um, but, you know, small, small batch of barrel here and there. My father always had a batch going in the in the basement. And uh, he even went on business trip when we were living down in Southern Marin when I was in uh, middle school. And he made a batch of Zinfandel and Pinot Noir and I still have a few bottles of those, really? 80, 83 and 85. Have you tried them? I have. I've been later? holding them because I know they're probably pretty delicate, but I've been holding mm-hmm. enough so I, you know, when my daughter, who's now 13, is, is able to, oh. and she can taste her, her grandfather's wine. How oh, that's cool is special. That? Really special. That's so cool. So, wow. so yeah, so we grew up, uh, I grew up in, um, actually was living here at the Westerbrook Ranch here in Sonoma when I was yeah. zero to two years old. My mom had a horse, <laughs> and it was one of the few places that could board a horse of her. So we lived here for a couple years out in Valley Ford for a year. And then my father got a job down in the San Francisco Bay Area. So we were based down there for most of, you know, four, oh. from four years old to 18 years old. Oh, okay. And during that time, we made a little home wine, as I you mentioned. Did? Yep. And then uh, we moved up, my mother and father, um, uh, Diana David Cobb, moved up to Occidental, where 
we live now. I love Occidental. In 89 and planted a vineyard, which is now a 14-acre Pinot Noir vineyard. Uh, one of the blocks we're going to have oh, here really? today. Oh, really? One of these? Oh, yes. great. Awesome. So the oldest vines that we have at Coastlands Vineyard is the 1989. So that's what brought us into the real vineyard and winery business was oh. buying this up, air piece of property in Occidental above Bodega Bay at 1,200 feet. And I was at college. I went to UC Santa Cruz and studied sustainable agriculture and agroecology, which is uh, a very... Um, crunchy um, environmental studies major yeah. and I followed my mother and father after college and got involved more and more. Was your, did your dad go into more and more winemaking? Uh, my father focused on growing grapes mm -hmm. and finding a couple wineries to buy the grapes. So William Selium has been buying grapes since 1992. Well, they're, they're yeah. terrible I wines. Mean, yeah, just I don't know terrible. who would ever drink their they just, wines. They just keep winning best wine in the world. I mean, I don't know. So <laughs> when he started just grape growing, um, was that kind of ultimately he... Did he ever, did you guys intend to make wine or were you like, we're going to grow grapes and we'll just see where it goes? It was a little bit, uh, it was mostly, uh, to answer your question, we planted the vineyard, my mother and father planted the vineyard and quickly I got involved after college and the intention was just to grow grapes. Okay. And we didn't make a barrel until maybe the ninth vintage, 92. Um, okay. we, oh, wow. we made a barrel and a half Oh wow. Okay. Um, of Pinot Noir from the Coastlands Vineyard and that's the 1999 uh, that was the official one where we put, did a little printed digital label, Coastlands Vineyard, oh, 1999. Cool. <laughs> so that was our first official, you know, with a little label on it. And it was funky and cloudy. And, you know, <laughs> we didn't rack it properly before bottling, but it tastes beautiful to this day. It's 1999 is as fresh as you, much fresher than I thought it would be. Um, wow. Had a bottle last week and it, it's, it's a gorgeous wine. You have, just have to decant oh, it off the sediments. Oh, wow. Um, but fun. So, yeah, a little bit of home wine, mm -hmm. but mostly it was to grow grapes. Mm -hmm. And then what started off our Cobb Wines was in 2001, we pulled back this one block that's named after my mother, Diane Cobb. Okay. And it's an acre and a half of own rooted, 16 different clones of Pinot Noir on their own roots. Own planted in 89 as an experiment about uh, to, to learn which clones did well on our site. And instead of pulling it out and replacing it, we kept those vines. And that's that's the um, that'll be the second Pinot Noir we have. The 2018 Diane Cobb will have. Can we go back? Because I just always like to make sure to explain it, even for myself. When you say own rooted, explain mm -hmm. a little bit what you mean by that. Well, you can take a a cane, which is you know kind of a five or six bud cane. You can just cut it off of a dormant vine in the winter time, you know, uh -huh. December to January, February, and you can throw it right into the ground stick it right in the ground in February March and kind of take care of it build a little mound of dirt around the outside just to keep it moist and then you can it'll send out its own roots it becomes it's its own unbelievable so you, it's not where most most vines right are on a rootstock yep it's, that's t you know since phylloxera and all of that Ex most go on a rootstock but this is this is the way it was done for thousands of years of propagation. Yeah. And then it's, it was only till phylloxera where people said, well, how do we you know, avoid this phylloxera um, issue? And so that's when people were grafting onto yeah. a rootstock that was somewhat or very or slightly resistant to the St. George. To, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. So we yeah. have all resistant rootstocks on our property, aside from this one block we have of of, uh, it's an expansion block. So it was an, a, a block that we set up so we could expand the vineyard from it after oh, we learned perfect. which Pinot Noir clones were correct. That's so... Just, I know, it's like crazy. Here. But you know, Meredith, that's how a lot of this happened in the beginning. They, they call them suitcase vines. Yep. 
You know, the Italians would come over to Sonoma, most of the Germans would come to Napa, and they brought them over in their suitcase. You know, my best buddy is, is Malouf, which are Lebanese, and his great-great-grandmother brought over a rootstock, for, I mean, a, a, a piece of vine for the grape leaves. You yeah. know how they do rolled grape leaves. Yeah. And she gave, every daughter since then has gotten a cutting off that vine and they go home and plant it and they have their own grape leaves. Wow. That's amazing. That's yeah. so cool. Isn't that beautiful? So I have a, so going back, because I was reading your, your background and something you talked about is your biology degree with living soil and then you worked in soil laboratory because we don't hear often of people doing that. It's a dirty job. Yeah. <laughs> it is a dirty job, but he was willing to do it. But I got to think your background in that, out, not maybe being background necessarily in enology, where they're much more like science-driven on Vine, did that kind of, your interest in doing something that's more unique these days than, I mean, I know it goes back to hundreds of years, but in the new ages, <laughs> people haven't done it that way. Yeah, the, um, the soil degree was a, a conscious decision to be more helpful in my parents' vineyard. So okay. they had planted Smart. the vineyard. I was yeah. up there on the weekends when I needed to make an extra buck to pay a DMV fee or, uh, or a, um, you know, a parking ticket I may or, or may, something. I may or may not have had one of those. Or just some spending money on the weekend. So I would come up pretty much every other weekend through college and summer and spring break and help my parents. And my brother always joked, I was his, my father's indentured servant. You know, so <laughs> here's $500 now. <laughs> no, but it was great. It really, it locked me into it. And it really, it motiv obviously motivated me to come up and help. And then I fell in love with the, the vine work, you know, because we did. did all our own pruning and all oh, our own wow. uh, canopy management, leafing and tucking and, and harvesting. That's so, awesome. So, and all the tractor work, my mother and father basically worked you know, three, four day a week jobs, and then they'd take off three or four days to work in the vineyard. So they could. Oh uh, my wow. goodness! It was true passion. Yeah, um, the so the soil science degree that I received from UC Santa Cruz was very helpful in our family vineyard and uh, learning about the health of the soil. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I hooked up with a, uh, that's the wrong way to say it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I joined a, um, a soil professor, uh, Mark Buchanan at UC Santa Cruz, and he taught me about fertilizer and uh, compost, more importantly, how to oh. break, how to use compost instead of fertilizer, and, oh, which is sustainable, okay. how, to, how to use, yeah. um, how to do sustainable agriculture without irrigating and fertilizing your vines. Are you guys dry farmed up there? We have this block that we're going to have, the second Pinot Noir that Diane Cobb Coastlands has been dry farmed for 22 years. I love that. Of the 32 years of their life. I yep. love it. I think you've been talking about the I'm wine, so I think we're starting it. to get thirsty here. Thank I think you. This is going to be... So this is the first one. Tell us a little bit about the one you're pouring for us right now. Okay. So um, right next door to wow. our Coastlands Vineyard is uh, the Docks Ranch Pinot Noir. And this is a Pinot Noir vineyard that our neighbor planted um, up on Fitzpatrick Lane, which is right next door to Coastlands Vineyard. Okay. It's... Um, at 1,200 foot elevation, three miles from the ocean above Bodega Bay, you can see the ocean. I was just I just left the property on my way out here today, and you can see the white caps and the ripples off the ocean oh. at 1,200 feet, very oh clear. Wow. So you can imagine that. Close your eyes and smell this, and that you it's it's a very marine influence, uh, very coastal. I get fog. a little I get a little salt. Oh yeah, the salinity in there. Yeah. The 
God, this nose is ridiculous. Wow. I don't even want to taste it. I'm, I'm pulling a Meredith. I don't even want to taste it. I know. <laughs> I and just... the color, look at that beautiful. Oh, God, this is gorgeous. So the particular um, selection that I put together in this Docks Ranch Pinot Noir, it's from 2018, which is an outstanding vintage for us. Um, Swan clone from Joseph Swan's winery, oh, cuttings Swan, from yeah. Joseph Swan, yeah. and Joseph, and cuttings from Calera. So, um, like we were talking about earlier, you can take cuttings and and um, plant them in the ground. So we got the buds which you cut out of those cuttings, and we grafted. Um, so this is Swan clone and Calera clone um, on rootstock, um, and it's in a beautiful site. It's kind of a southwest facing uh, slope of Fitzpatrick Lane, which is out. Off Coleman Valley Road, which is off. That's of, way up. Yeah, yeah. Off of Joy Road in Coleman Valley is Fitzpatrick. Oh, that's beautiful country out there. And when I you can talk, taste the Clara. Yeah, and when you talk about the Southwest facing, the benefit to that is they get that afternoon sun, right? Which I would imagine at your height, higher altitude, you need a little bit of exactly warmer. But nice sunshine. early fog. Exactly. You yeah, I, can cool, I can cool, taste. Cool breeze, just like you have fog. here. This is what you feel all summer long. That yeah. cool breeze, like we're. Here feeling here in Sonoma it's um it's it's usually 60 65 degrees it's usually not that hot oh that's terrible and and it gets some and but it also can be extremely foggy you know to the point where you have you know you're wearing a jacket for a week outside and yeah. you're working outside and your car's kind of long that sucker up. comes in every evening yeah. too yeah yeah I uh, I can smell the fog in this <laughs> I just love it and you and, but also Meredith let's talk about this for one second I hate to do this but I mean this is one of my favorite pinots already. It's, it's got the strawberries on velvet, but it's got enough of this. Mm. I, I don't know. I'm going to go ahead and stick with foggy, salty air well, minerality yeah. that I just am loving. Yeah, and it's so um, bright and fresh, which I, again, assume comes because of the cooler climate. And I think Definitely. talk a little bit about that, you know, inland Sonoma versus being out on the coast and how that makes an impact on the style of the wine. Definitely. The, um, the, the area we're in on the kind of western Sonoma coast, um, south of the Russian River mouth, north of Point Reyes, kind of in that coastal uh, oh, point yeah. there, the hills don't get above about 1,200 feet. So we're about at that peak on the coast, yeah. but the fog comes in and it comes in strong and that keeps the vines from, from ripening too fast. Mm -hmm. So if you have it hot, hot, hot all day long, all summer and into the fall, yeah. the vines will ripen the fruit very quickly and maybe not with as much complexity. And when you can get this cooling fog, it'll start to ripen and then the fog will come in and say, not so fast. And it slows ah, that ripening down it. and you get this gradual um, accumulation of flavors. And, and they sugar. just lock in. And I think the alcohol on this is somewhere about 12 and a half. Yeah, this is not so much. Which, which is yeah. so nice because you're seeing so many higher alcohol wines coming out. It just feels out. like every single possible flavor is locked in this thing. This is good so grief. smooth on the palate and the finish. Like, I'm still tasting all those flavors. Mm. Mm. Unbelievable. How do you describe this one, Ross? Well, you, you both have done a wonderful job. <laughs> I, I mean, what I always say, which sounds kind of very simple, but just that raspberry and the mm -hmm. earth and the, the the flavors of the trees out there too. You can imagine being oh, out in the in yeah. the you've got a little bit of the pine and the Douglas fir and the redwoods and the oak mm. and a little bit of the bay laurel, all of and you know just some of that sh you know shrub kind of coyote brush, and you could just imagine all millions of years of that 
that yeah. leaf fall and pine needle fall. And so the aromas out there has that kind of pine fresh uh, aromatic, but then kind of cooling as well. Mm. Yeah. I got one quick question on soil, then we'll bounce. How many vineyards around here mess with their soil? Like actually get after it, yeah. make the necessary changes? Well, it, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I know most people, the, the preparation of the a vineyard would be would be the opportunity to really mess with the soil, so right, to speak. Uh, yeah. So what you're doing is just elementary, you know, basic intro um, viticulture and farming. You'd you'd you till and kind of maybe turn the soil mm -hmm. like yeah. you've seen with the big tractors and turn that soil just to get it a little more um, even from one layer of the soil to the other. So just mm -hmm. like any gardener double digs their garden. Yeah. You know? So you're doing that and you can integrate some compost. You can integrate some maybe some lime gypsum to give it a little calcium and to release some phosphorus. Yeah. So your opportunity to really mess with the soil, so to speak, is to is before you put the stakes and all that. Because once mm -hmm. you put the vines in the stake, it's really hard to turn that soil. Right. To get down and that, where that the roots point, are. And that point, you kind of yeah. have to like, you know, you're working around each vine. And so once you get the vines established, you're really just, you can compost. You can add some really nice compost that you might have um, built on your property. Mm -hmm. um, but the most important thing, and this is what I learned in, in my you know, UC Santa Cruz uh, courses was, the living soil, which is you, you get a soil that's living and healthy, and um, and also you want to get a soil that's inherently good for agriculture, meaning it yeah. has the clay, it has the organic matter, it has the sand Draining, silk clay, yeah, yeah, it has the different types, um, and the and the living soil would be you know earthworms and such. Like mm -hmm. any great gardener knows, you want a healthy soil, and then all of the um, the farming from then on is going to be a lot easier. And yeah. you're not going to have to amend it or add, and even you don't you don't have to water the vines. Will will actually be just fine dry farmed, which means no water. After ten years to eight to ten years, the vines are like, all right, our roots are deep enough. We're not needing to be yeah, irrigated. They've, they've gone down. Yeah. Yep. Yes. We did. We dug up some vines at Square Peg, which is pretty close to you. Some of those roots were like 20, 30 feet. Yeah. 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 It was crazy. Yeah. People have no idea how deep the roots are go. I mean, we have vines up at uh, Coastlands here. The, um, the second one we'll have that are definitely 20, 30, 40 feet deep. Yeah, it's crazy. amazing. Yeah. They just keep going and going and going. Well, I thought it was going to be my only question. I got one I more know, quick I, one. I have one too. You know, we're, we're looking out here on the vineyard and the cover crops are all just mass and stuff. Yeah. And they're getting ready to prune. And, and what do you like to do with your cover crops? Yeah, we have a natural, um, kind of a natural coastal California grass mix, and so we've we've um, added some of those same seeds that are naturally here, just to make sure they're dominant in the you know, in the vineyard. At Coastlands and most of the vineyards that I oversee and manage, um, we use a cover crop permanent, and and you do, uh, yeah, you no no herbicides, so we'll till the soil or cut the soil um, or cut the weeds or or turn the soil with the sunflower device. With the tractor, we like to just mow the grass and not till I noticed down that the road. A lot of people leave it on. We, we like leave to, it. we like to have all that or great organic matter that the grasses are building up, and then you cut it, uh, and maybe have to cut it twice the grass, but you don't need to till it, which is a little more uh, old school way of tilling and turning the soil. That's what I always heard. Okay. Yeah, I always heard it, till the, it under, but it's for actually, the nitrogen or something. Exactly, and it's that's true if you're very very depleted soil, but if you have really healthy soils, it's actually not competing with the nutrients and, and water. So glad I asked that question. Yeah. 
I can't good. help but ask now that you talked about how, how big the roots go. Is there an average of how much a root grows every year? I love this question because there's a really fun answer. Oh, yay. Okay. Um, and it's actually a very good question. Um, the, the vine will send out one leaf, as you know, uh-huh. and one leaf equals one root hair. So it kind of like they, they are actually one to one. Oh, really? So every year, every leaf that's, that's popped out, and you say you have thousands of leaves on a vine or hundreds of leaves in a vine, that means there's hundreds of, of equivalent root hairs or root outgrowths. Oh, really? So qu- quite a bit. Well, yeah. Okay, it wasn't <laughs> Thanks a, for asking, I'm Mary. glad I asked because <laughs> when you were talking, I was like, hmm, I wonder how long. Oh, wow, that's so interesting. Now I'm going to be like paying, paying attention to how many it. leaves are yeah. shooting out. And if you've seen those vines, sometimes you'll go into a tasting room or a winery will have a, a vine that they pulled out of the vine yeah. intact. Yeah. And you can just, it's incredible the, the expansion of the root system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, it how, and it is almost like it's a mirror of what's above ground and to below ground. Yeah. But it keeps growing and you're cutting back the vine every year and those roots Well, keep I'll growing. show you in the back of our barn, it's like all rock yeah. and there's roots that had to make it through the rocks. Yeah. You've seen that. Yeah. You know, they'll fight. Yeah. They'll, they'll go for water, mm-hmm. you know? I guess we all do, don't we? <laughs> Survival. Uh, so you travel all over the world and to, what, just like experience wine, vines and Yeah, I mean, my soils. first 10 years of my you know, since college till I was 30, I didn't have any money to travel. And my parents were, all their money was being put into this wonderful vineyard and equipment and, you know, just kind of their second career. They call it a retirement, but it was really their second career. And they, um, so it wasn't until I was about 30 um, that I went to France. And I went for a month and a half to France and Spain and Portugal. Nice. And that was in uh, 2000. Um, Did you get to go all over France, the Rhone, and I, I was I I start off in Paris, of course. Yeah, and I had a uh, my cousin had worked for Ralph Lauren in <laughs> Paris, and she, her her housemate and coworker had an apartment, and she was this woman was visiting her boyfriend in Italy, and so I cat sat. Boom. <laughs> so I stayed in Paris for three oh, days. Bless your heart. And never met her because she oh. was in Italy. Yeah. And then I spent I spent I spent three days hanging out with all of her friends and they took me all over Paris. Oh, there's a That's the best way to go. The yeah. best way to go. I was that was a happy guy. And and then <laughs> at that point I had appointments all the way through France. Um so I started off in Chablis in northern oh, Burgundy. Nice. And met a bunch of the youth and you know, the whole age and it was an amazing experience. Um kids you know, kids, I call them, you know, 20 year olds all the way up to 65, 70 year olds all hang out and socialize, drink wine all and together. houses. It's they like they're, they're very different than the United States where people kind of hang out in their age groups yeah. more. And it was really cool to see that. And then from Chablis, Burgundy, you went down to the Cote d'Or and you know, Cote Nuit and, um, and then all the way down through the Rhone oh. and then cut over to Barcelona, Spain, and then all the way up throughout Spain to Santiago. The, where the way is Santiago de Compostela, and met my cousin and his um, my the cousin's uh, brother uh, Mike Cobb, and, and hung out with him and his wife now Martina, who lived in who lived in Galicia, uh, Santiago. Oh. So Alber- long story. Home of Albarino. Albarino country. Yep. We love Albarino. Yeah, yeah we love it. <laughs> yep. It's one and of our Gadeo is another white grape that's amazing. Mm. And Portugal. So that was my first trip to France. And you could tell after that trip, I went back every year. I, oh. I could afford it every other year. And nice. just, it's just, you know, stayed in people's guest rooms and couches, whatever I could yeah. do, and tasted through. In Burgundy in particular, I've tasted over 150 wineries. 
No. I didn't realize it was that many until I started <laughs> counting. But it adds up. There are so... And I've only been to a tenth of the wineries in, in Cote d'Or. Oh, yeah, because, you know, I heard, that, you know, that like you can literally throw a rock and hit the next one the next a one. lot of times, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's All the right, best here, wine tourism. Yes. Please go to Burgundy. I'm going to be there in three weeks. Oh, <laughs> First time on with time. me. Is yeah, yeah let's, come, let's get there. <laughs> one quick question on this, sure. then we'll go to the next topic. What was your favorite Burgundian? Oh gosh, it's it's so difficult because when I was, you know, 30, my palate changed a yeah. bit. But I, the wines that I um, was impressed with, let me explain. Instead of naming a brand, because I could I could name a lot of brands, and you know, Nicholas Rosignol. Bruno Claire, um, uh, Francois Leclerc, or Leclerc. Um, there's the big, you know, Dujac and you know, mm-hmm. uh, Domaine Romani Conti. Some of the bigger um, ones that are hard to get into. Um, um, so some of the bigger, um, well-known brands obviously were mind-blowing. But what I learned was more important, which was what you can smell and what you can taste you know, Pinot Noir in particular, when the vines become 40, 50, 60 year old vines. And you can start to smell the sappiness. It's like the sap of the of the vine. It's like when you're cutting, a, you know, when it saps, you could smell mm-hmm. that. You could start to smell that in an older wine, when older vine, the, you know, the old vine yeah. is, uh, you know, I think it's 40 years or older. So it, that, that was mind blowing. And it became a fun um, game to try to learn the vine age. Yeah. Oh, and by like how much that. you smell and that. You smell I do that, that here sappiness. with clones. That's yeah. practice. That's like, a lot of practice. Yeah. <laughs> and good coaching from these you know, winemakers because they yeah. usually, and they usually build you up to the oldest vines. So you oh, could practice pretty well. Yeah. I like oh to do God, that with clones. That yeah. would be so much fun. Yeah. He's yeah. good at Pinot Noir clones. Yeah. I don't have that. I don't have that kind of palate to be able to differentiate between them. You had told the story, I was listening to another um, interview you did, something about you went to Burgundy and you took a bunch of Pinot Noir from California to Burgundy yes. to get feed, to learn and get feedback. I didn't know exactly my point of bringing 18 bottles in, in a <laughs> duffel bag. I had a You ho- were going to do your own judgment of Paris. <laughs> I guess. I, and I, I was excited, of course, my first trip, and I brought 18 bottles in a big hockey duffel bag, and I had to put it in overhead uh, carry on, yeah. because this is 2000 before yeah. you were allowed to still. Yeah. And you could imagine the looks on the people on the plane when I'm put, taking this hockey bag. And 18 bottles is not yeah, easy. Click, 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 not click, easy click, to pick click, up. Click. They're wrapped pretty well, so it was more of just me going, like, what's in that bag? Is what they're wondering. But I brought them all to Burgundy, and on maybe the second week when I was in Cote d'Or, my host Francois Leclerc and he and his wife Catherine at the time had visited me at William Selliam when I was an enologist. Oh, my did. early, we haven't really yeah. talked about my career, but yeah. I was at William Selliam and, you know, when I was 28, 29, 30. And that, they invited, said, come stay with us and, you know, taste, we'll taste through all the cellars of all of our friends and Gevray Champatin, which is that. Oh, yeah. So we did that. We tasted all up and down um, Cote d'Or, Cote d'Or, um, Cote d'Or, Cote d'Or. And at the end of the two weeks, we invited them that had these bottles. I had drunk a couple of them, but I had all these bottles. And um, we um, we um, opened them all up and invited all of the winemakers that we had just tasted with over the last two weeks. And said, come try California. And we had winemakers that never talked to each other. Wow. I mean, you know how it is in the wine country. Like, you'll say, hey, I know, you know, yeah, such and such. Yeah. And I'm like, 
I haven't seen them in four years, but it's, you can imagine in Burgundy it's compact, but even still they have a lot of old family rivalries and oh. family misunderstandings. Oh, yeah. Or <laughs> someone. The Hatfield and McCoy. Oh, I have a funny story. This one winery said, oh, we don't talk to those people because they wanted to find out which Cooper, which barrel brand <laughs> that we buy. And so they sent their dog into the cellar pretending like it was a mistake and they ran in to see which barrels we had that's a true story and it was that type of um kind of a not par paranoia but also yeah. just like, like competitive, com competitive and a little bit um ed edgy so at the end of these two weeks we had the great opportunity of tasting all of these wines i brought and i'll quickly go through them it's a vertical of william selliam's coastlands vineyard which is my family vineyard uh, oh. Which is better? Vintages that yeah, Williams, that Williams gave me um, as a gift to, to go over, and then I did a vertical of Flowers Winery Camp Meeting Ridge, which I was starting as the assistant winemaker and eventually winemaker for nine years at William Sillam, after or at Flowers Winery after William Sillam. So I had this okay. whole vertical of '94, '5, and '6 made by Steve Kistler and Andy Bledsoe, and then '7, '8, '9 made by um, Greg LaFollette, and then. You know, it was amazing. So I had that, and then I had Dalinger, like a big, wow. one of the great Pinot Noir producers in the Russian River. I had Rocchioli, of course, Rocchioli, oh uh, Davis Bynum at the wow. time. Uh, all of the greats at the time, of, of course. Uh, um, you Fred brought Shearer. over some killer wine. Yeah. It was fun. Literai. Literai. <laughs> I, I, was, I was kind of wanting to show off a bit, but it also, <laughs> when it came into after two weeks of tasting in their cellars, I was like, okay, let's just see if they like them. <laughs> and it was really interesting to see what they liked and what they didn't necessarily like. And Tell it was, us the feedback. And they, yeah. loved those, they loved the balance of the oak and the alcohol. Oh. But they didn't necessarily like the lean, light oh, style really? that you'd think Burgundy's. They liked the yeah. riper, more full-bodied because oh. in Burgundy, they have a harder time achieving mm. Um, ripeness right. because it can be really you challenging. You and I were talking about that it's earlier so today, it's weren't so we? It's so cold. They mm -hmm. can't, they're getting the grapes ripe. We mm -hmm. talked about that yesterday when we were yesterday, talking about Yesterday, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so they, they love some of the wines that are a little bit bigger and a little yeah. showier, not necessarily alcoholic. And they definitely were critical of overuse of oak. And they're like, yeah. oh, they don't oak much. They were very cautious. Yeah, they don't oak much. Especially in over younger there. vines. Yeah. And yeah. so I learned a lot about whole cluster, you know stemming you know if we use it or not and yeah. uh, the ripeness level and the oak percentage and the integration of all that did you change your style after coming back well I, that was my first trip and i hadn't started cob wines until the next year but definitely influenced me majorly did it? okay yeah. i went back every year i've been back 15 times and wow. every single time i bring bottles of wine with me yeah. to mm -hmm. share because i'm excited and i also uh -huh. want you know um show them what we're doing in california and it's great because I'll taste Burgundy, 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 and then Cobb. And I'm oh. like, oh, wow, that really tastes oaky. Or, you know, and so I'll slightly oh. tweak my oak, new oak percentage right. a little bit. Or, gosh, that really smells great, but it's so sweet and juicy on the palate. It just doesn't yeah. balance with the food or right after a Burgundy that's, wine. That's and I learned a lot no, about no, that. This is what Mara and I were talking Stop. about yesterday in the, in the Pinot conversation. We're, we're almost moving into this, like, confusion. You know, we have we have some really close friends that, that uh, do make Pinots, and I was talking a little bit, and she goes, you know, I, I haven't really been digging Pinot, and I love a good one, and then I said, what do you really like? And she goes, Burgundian, you know, <laughs> Meredith. And, uh, but it's been very interesting to hear this, because I think that's the secret. <laughs> I think this getting this balance with oak, acidity, whole cluster when needed, you know, well, I'm also yeah. impressed because I think doing that, you taking your wines, it, it's 
you're putting yourself out there, right? Like you're wanting feedback, which a lot of people are afraid of doing that, especially going to somewhere like Burgundy that's known for making, you know, for how long of a history they have in making fabulous wine. So I give you so much credit for doing that, but it's helping you continue to make. I mean, this this wine's delicious. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so proud of this wine. It's just, it's a gorgeous. Um, some older vines from this vineyard next door to mine. Um, and um, the owner, um, Brian Sheets, and his wife have done an amazing job planting this, expanding on this. There was a small block of Swan Clone that we're having here, and then they expanded the vineyard with Calera, Pomard Selection, and 114, and Chardonnay which is phenomenal. Um, I know, and, and, we're looking forward to tasting that Chardonnay and, later. So yeah, so the, um, the yeah, it, it was amazing what Burgundy brought to me, and it's, if you really want honest criticism, that's the place to go. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Ouch. <laughs> they love telling Ouch. you that your, your accent or your, your French isn't very good, but they love saying, oh, you have too much oak, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a critical it's, thing. <laughs> Well, well, they've only been doing it for about a hundred thousand years, yeah. you know. I, know, like, I, know. I guess they can speak to it. This one's named after your mom. Yes, my um, my late mother. Actually, she passed in '06, and the year so of '06, I started calling this block this one I block. Love that. Some people, the mother block, and she um she had named this block after this old horse that used to graze down the road called Maggie. So this was Maggie's block, and if you come out to oh, Coastlands, cool. you'll see M's on the end of each row. Cool. And um, we didn't, uh, yeah. So now um, in 06, when she passed, we named the 06 vintage on. If you want to go back and do a vertical of this particular block, it was just Coastlands. Oh one, two, three, oh, four. Oh really? And, and that's some of them that you started, brought over to Burgundy, right? And that's some of those first. Um, actually, the first ones were um, Coastlands. That were made at William Selliam. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. But the same vineyard. Yeah. Same yeah. vineyards. Yep. Boy, I mean, this is deeper. I'm, yeah. It feels like a little. So this is, uh, this Pinot Noir is 18 different Pinot Noir clones on their oh. own roots. So this is that block I was talking oh, about. Oh, this is. And yeah, this is also also these vines are now 32, 33 year old vines. So when you talk about that sappiness from an old vine, you can start to smell that. Boy, I think I, I think I get the dish rag in this. <laughs> <laughs> that sappy. Yeah. So this is an example of what we can get with those. And you can imagine the trees. Just if you close your eyes and just smell this. Oh, and you the, can just smell that that Douglas fir and the redwood and the mm. bay laurel and laurel. You know, come it's subtly is coming out from those oils from millions I'm, of years. I know. I'm getting that deep. The aromatics that, are. Well, wait till you taste it. I'm getting incredible. this Russian river mineral, like riverbed minerality. Mm. In this thing, mm. that's my favorite. Very good texture. It's got mm -hmm. that, it's got the a decent amount of tannin beautiful. structure, but then some great juiciness on the palate, which I don't always use on my own wines, but typically. But mm. this wine has really got that beautiful balance. Yeah, oh, very different from the last wine. Yeah, like very different, but still. I would call these wines very elegant. Mm -hmm. They're both very elegant they style are. wines. That's a good descriptor. Because nothing screaming for like. Um, power over something else. Very well yeah, balanced. For attention. Very integrated. Nothing's yeah, nothing's, nothing's screaming, screaming for, for attention. It's just giving it to you. But you but you still get it all. Like yeah. it, it's. I, I'm not doing a great job of explaining it because I think I'm just. I don't know why, Meredith, but lately I've been. I think since I, we were up at Watermark, I've been really getting into what the mouthfeel on wine is. Mm -hmm. You know, and I never really concentrated on it like I do now. 
This is like like when he said that the whole balance with the tannins, acidity, mm-hmm. and stuff. This mouthfeel is just beautiful. It's very very balanced. So I got a crazy question, uh, Ross. What was it like working for Randall Graham at Bonnie Doon? Oh my gosh, is he I, a character? I have the best stories about Randall Graham. Now. I have to say, I had finished college at UC Santa Cruz, which you know, is Randall where Graham is, country, yeah. and I, you know, I think I went to the tasting room with my girlfriend at the time, you know, once or twice. But um, I wasn't a huge wine drinker in college, you know, most mostly beer. So I worked uh, for Harvest at Ferrari Carano here in Dry Creek, oh. and that was my. That's where I started the soil lab, which we were Beautiful. talking about earlier. So I set up a soil lab using all the the procedures and and uh, with the guidance of Mark Buchanan from Santa Cruz. And after four years, I was ready for prime time. You know, I was confident. I was an enologist. You know, I had my viticulture skills, I had my soil skills, and now Randall Graham. Randall Graham hires me in January of 98. So I was, uh, what, 28? And not full of confidence, but I had a lot of information, a lot of data, a lot of skills, but I, I, could, wasn't I could talk confident. the game. Yeah. <laughs> I was, but I wasn't definitely confident. It was definitely a big uh, step up going from kind of an enologist lab tech at Ferrari Crono, soil scientist at Ferrari Crono, to full lab manager and enologist. Mm. And so Randall Graham story. So this is my typical day. So this is the off season, we call it, you know, bottling and blending Mm. and, you know, handling, getting the wines to go dry. So it's January through June. I only worked there for six months, but I'll explain why. Um, It was, it was a good story. The, um, a couple months into my job, which entailed this lab manager, microbiology lab manager, the lab was about the size of this table that we're sitting having taken <laughs> with two like, of us, yeah. me and Violetta. And uh, we were crammed in there doing spectrophotometry and, you know, all the stuff, all the most advanced stuff in this tiny little lab. <laughs> and we're plating for microbials. We, um, we had so much going on. And we also were back entering two years worth of data into <laughs> the computer system because they wanted to upgrade the computer system. So... Every day, my brain was just spinning. I'd get home and lay down on my bed, literally, and just my head was just spinning. Never been that. Wow. O- over, not overwhelmed, but just, you know. A lot just, of information. Yeah, and just trying to keep up with it. And so the next day, I remember coming into work, and I was just like, man, this is, this is a hard job. And Randall Graham comes in. He's like, are you, um, are you watching the press? I'm like, well, what, what's in the press? Uh, pressing? It's February. He's like, oh, well, we got the framboisin, the raspberries from Washington. We're pressing the raspberries right now in the bladder. And um, uh, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go check it out and check in with the cellar master. I come back and I'm like, Randall, um, looks good. The, the framboise coming out, you know, the raspberry juice is coming out. I mean, you know, this is a winery, but we're making raspberry wine too. Well, I mean, I come this, this is a framboise. It's like a dessert wine that uses oh. raspberries and a little spirit. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm at that point, I'm like, I am way in over my head. There's so much going on. And Randall Graham comes into the laboratory, which I said literally has no room for anything. He comes in with a crate of lemons. <laughs> He's like, Ross, I just got back from Capri <laughs> and I want to make limoncello. No. <laughs> Can you set up a grid? with every variable, zesting and pulp and seeds oh. and juicing and different alcohol percentage and different juice percentage. And to set up this grid, it was like this massive grid. And oh. let's do an experiment to see what the best combination is to make the best oh. limoncello. When you're trying <laughs> to I, knock and it And I'm sitting there, I'm just, like, at that point, about to just lose my mind. I was like, okay, I can do this. You know, I'm 28, I can handle anything. And so, yeah, I was there for six months. And then Burt Williams 
from William Selyam <laughs> calls sorry. my father and says, is Ross still at Ferrari Chrono Winery? And um, my father's like, no, he's now at Bonnie Dune in Santa Cruz. And Bird's like, oh, I'm selling William Selyam to John Dyson, and I want to hire Ross to be my viticulture etymologist. And I was hoping he was still in the neighborhood. Uh, oh. oh, so I, call, I talked to Randall Graham, and I said, Randall got been offered enologist and viticulturist job at William Selyam. And Randall's like, do it. Don't worry about me. We're fine. Oh, Violetta good. and the crew. We, it's you know it's May June at this point. Yeah. It's kind of the off season. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, and so they were fine. They had a you know they they got their crew back together, and I started at William Slam. Wow. Yeah, you couldn't pass. Awesome. I mean, that's an opportunity you couldn't yeah. have yeah. passed up. No, yeah. you had to you know? do that. Well, and you'd had your you'd already kind of seen what the job with Randall Graham mm. looked like. Oh. So. Well, <laughs> I, I say I, were, I learned more in that six months at Bonnie Dune than I did in the four years at Ferrari Grano. <laughs> yeah. Mind-blowing. Anyways. The, the only crazy story I know about him is, and, and for those that are listening about this guy, he goes to New York City, gets a bunch of people together that he knows, and they, they have a coffin, and they're walking through the streets. And what's in the coffin is corks. And it, it was his campaign for screw caps. Oh, <laughs> it, it was called Death it. of the Cork. Oh this guy's gosh. crazy, That must have been brother. in the mid-90s. Or yeah, yeah. All the Flowers. different people you had talked about who has really influenced you, and it really is a lot of the pioneers here in Sonoma County doing, yeah. who did Pinot Noir, like who you mentioned, Burt Williams, Ted Lemon of Literai. These yep. are like world Gary class. Farrell, yep, Davis Bynum, um, yeah, Rocchioli. Mm-hmm. And Dalinger was a little closer to our vineyard there in Sebastopol, um, and he was a big influence viticulturally mm-hmm. uh, at Dalinger Winery. Um, yeah, but working at uh, William Slam, Burt Williams was on his way out uh, from the you know the winemaking, and Bob Cabral and I took over as the new Jeez. winemaking team. Um, so that was great. Two years of that. You guys made some award-winning wines. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Just unbelievable. Um, it's you know it's definitely a, a recognizable name if you mention William Salem. I think mm. Salem. Sorry, <laughs> you <laughs> kind of are like oh. Know that one. What? How, know how do you feel about where Pinot's going now? Like, obviously Sonoma County is uh, probably that, and then of course um, Santa Rita and and the north of uh, Santa Barbara. There are the two biggest in California, and now Oregon's coming on. What's your thoughts on that? Like, I mean, it's it's just to kind of explain that my history with in my parents' perspective when we got into grape growing and wine making, you know, at the time in the late '80s, we had a couple like ten vines in our backyard down in you know Southern Marin, and my parents were taking viticulture classes, so we started getting into the vineyard things, you know, in the mid late '80s, and at the time it was you know Santa Barbara Pinot. Yeah. Fresh, um, yeah, Carneros Pinot, mm-hmm. and Oregon was like this, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, a, oh, you know, yeah. A, a, yeah. so Oregon, some of the Irie and some of the early, so it was Oregon, Santa Barbara, and um, Carneros, and the Russian River, of mm-hmm. course, kind of being led by the, you know, some of the people we mentioned, and 
it's still relevant. You know, each of those regions is completely different from each other in an aromatic. You can have a Santa Barbara Bienecito vineyard, you know, beautiful, mm -hmm. older, you know, 40-year-old Pinot Noir vines with the Pomard and the Vadensville 2A. And it can stand right up to the Coastlands vineyard here that we have um, from my my family. It can stand up to any, you know, any of the great Rocchioli 100%. vineyards. Mm -hmm. And you can mm -hmm. stand up to some any of the great uh, Willamette Valley vineyards. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the most obvious um, evolution or education is, you know, microclimates and, mm -hmm. and soils. And now with, with the, um, you know, with the droughts and the, you know, issues we're having climate, with the climate, uh, learning about how to grow sustainable and not, and, uh, not irrigating and, mm -hmm. and growing vines where they can be That's dry why I farmed. Love, I love these dry farmed wines. You don't mm -hmm. get them a lot. And when you do, it's, to me, it's day and night. Mm -hmm. The flavors that come out mm. are just Abs perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, the evolution of, of this area, Carneros still has gorgeous wines, especially on those good years. I, I always mm -hmm. say Carneros has, you know, a, one year it'll be a little bit leaner, a little maybe a little lean and green. Yeah. Just like Willamette, just like Oregon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Lean and green. And then the next yeah. year it'll be like, whoa, let's right. get that vineyard every year. And then the next year it's kind of... You know, yeah. So it, it's definitely a little bit of that swing I see between Willamette and Carneros. Mm -hmm. And then... Because what about Santa Lucia Highlands? And then Santa Lucia Highlands is gorgeous. You've got the, the Pizzoni, of course, the mm -hmm. Rosella, Sierra Mara. Those are gorgeous mm -hmm. vineyards. Blair. Yep. Amazing vineyards on that spot. It, it's a very, very good soils. When it starts, when we when we start talking about soils, that's where oh. Santa Lucia oh, okay. Highlands is just phenomenal soils. I actually just drove down there with my wife and daughter. We went to the World of Pinot Noir for Cobb uh, this weekend, and we were driving through, and I was trying to get my daughter, who's 13's attention as we're driving through, which, as you can imagine, is tough. And I was like, that's, you know, that's this, you know, beautiful, we're talking about the crops that are being, you know, farmed. It's just rich, rich, you know, soil. And what we have there is, of course, it's the old ocean floor. I yeah. mean, you've got this rich, rich soils. It yep. used to be this kind of alluvial soil that's accumulated down. So when you get into the benchlands there, you get that beautiful soil. It's the same thing at Coastlands. We've got this soil that's at 1,200 feet. It used to be the ocean, and it's been uplifted. And it's so, so you interesting you're saying 20, that. 20, 30 feet, uh, foot soil. Same with the Russian River where you have the Rokio Lake where they've yeah. got about these 40-year But you know, the reason I brought that up, this, these wines are reminding me of Santa Lucia's. Mm -hmm. The same flavor. Okay. Now that you said that, I wonder, I know why now. You know, something we've never done, Ross, is we've ended the tasting with the Chardonnay. Yeah. I'm kind of excited about this. This what, was your recommendation. Tell us Tell us why, why would you have uh, ended this with a Chardonnay? Right. But, well, the um, the first uh, Docks Ranch Pinot Noir building to the older vine, you know, Coastlands, Diane Cobb. Chardonnay is typically just by color is you start with a Chardonnay and, yeah. you know, and then you kind of you think, OK, we'll start light and then we'll build up. Yeah. What we do in the wine industry as winemakers and sommeliers and professionals, we're tasting and tasting and mm -hmm. tasting lots of wines. Mm -hmm. And just by evolution, and it goes back to France thousands of years, they do it as well. But we kind of learned on our own here as well. Maybe it was slightly influenced by my trips to France, but mm -hmm. but it's, it's kind of a standard thing. You'll often do Pinot Noir, and then you finish with Chardonnay. 
Oh, and and you because the Pinot Noir has a lot of fruitiness and texture and and uh -huh. and you finish and it's 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 like a palate cleanser if you will uh -huh. it's kind of a brighter crisper a little higher acidity it kind yeah. of refreshes you gives oh. you a little energy kind just of like the smell of it did yeah. for me I haven't tasted the like, smell I like, I like that. that yeah I love the aroma on this because right away like you can you you smell what you want like are traditional in a mm. Chardonnay. But it's bright. There's a brightness to this. Huge it's brightness. Like right away, I get this citrus. It green made me apple. smile as soon as I smelled it. The green apple mm -hmm. and. Um, so I'll tell you a little bit about the Chardonnay. It's yes. a. It's um, from a newer vineyard for Cobb Wines. It's a vineyard that was planted by the the wonderful Klopp family, K L O P P, and they have the Laguna Ranch Pinot Noir that's been going to mm -hmm. um, to Mary Edwards and. Um, they have amazing pedigree in Pinot Noir in the Russian River Sonoma Coast area. They have another Pinot Noir vineyard called Thorn Ridge, which has gone to Costa Brown and LaRue and, and Reeve. Very, very good Pinot Noir um, growers. And, and so the story of this vineyard, it's called H. Klopp. And it, they wanted to name the vineyard House Klopp, meaning the House of Klopp. And I thought, mm, that's a little bit off it sounds like a drum machine setting or maybe yeah. some sort of condition i was like how about h clop h period clop and they're like that sounds great so that's the name h clop and there's several people that share this vineyard um cob wines um larue and reeve um and we all kind of share this eight acre chardonnay vineyard in sebastopol hills so it's in that kind of sandy loam soil and this is a fun story about the vineyard they came to me back in uh, you know 15 years ago and said, we have this beautiful Pinot Noir site in Sebastopol Hills. We want to plant Pinot Noir, but we want to find someone to do a pre-plant agreement, which means you sign a contract and then they feel confident to put the vines in the ground. Mm -hmm. And then when the vines are finally producing in four or five years, you get it. You're, you're in. So you've kind of, you're, you're obviously not paying during that time. You pay when the fruit is produced. Yeah. And I came back to them. I said, well, we have Pinot Noir all over Sebastopol, you know, Occidental. We have there's not enough Chardonnay, and personally for me, right. I, was, I want I want good Chardonnay. You have Heinz Vineyard, which is amazing out in um, great Occidental, great area, but there's not enough Chardonnay. So I came back to them. I said, if you plant Chardonnay, hmm. I'll pay you Pinot prices if uh. we can pick the clones. So we picked the best of the best of the best clones, and we did the research with the clops. We went to um, you know, around the area, we, we met with other people and we did our research and we found that this, these four clones of, you know, these selections of, of Chardonnay, that is, um, were outstanding. This is maybe a little burgundy. bit low yielding, a little bit more complex yeah. citrus and green apple. And yeah. I was uh, pouring They're this down at World of Pinot Noir, not it's not a Pinot Noir, or it's not a Chardonnay <laughs> event, but you know, under the table, I poured a little bit of this for guests at the end of the tasting to, to help wow. cleanse their palate. Yeah. And people were so Smart. happy to have, ah, oh, thank you. It gives them, you know, yeah. wash their teeth, maybe. No, yeah. um, <laughs> and, um, no but they, um, now, they, as a matter of fact, I'm going to quit brushing my teeth. Yeah, I'm just going to start using this. <laughs> and I, May mm. I ask, how do you... How do you age this, and how do you sure. fermentation with it? Because oh, food's this so is good. what this is what you and I want in a Chardonnay. This yeah. is what we talk about wanting in a Chardonnay. This and right when, here. And unfortunately, when we love one, it's a little it gets a little dangerous. But we do. <laughs> we it's fight like, over it. So yeah, so Chardonnay um, is my passion. You know, of course, at Ferrari Chrono, we made an enormous amount of beautiful barrel um, fermented Chardonnay, and 
William Sayams, get Bonnie Doom. William Sayam, amazing <laughs> Chardonnay, of course, from Hirsch Vineyard and mm-hmm. Allen Vineyard. And then Flowers, we were actually 70% Chardonnay at Flowers. When I we didn't started. know that. Yeah, we were 70-30. We actually had very uh, few, yeah. we had more Chardonnay and less um, Pinot Noir. And then it shifted over time. Yep. Over the oh, nine years I was okay. there, we made more Pinot than Chardonnay. So I became a very, very good Chardonnay winemaker over the years. And when I started Cobb Wines in 01, I didn't make a Chardonnay until 09. Nine oh, vintage, wow. but I was making it for Other flowers, people. and I was making it for Hirsch because I started flowers the same year I started Cobb. I started making flowers the same year I started Cobb. So uh, during those fifteen years, I was making those wonderful flowers and Hirsch <laughs> Chardonnays. I was also, I was, but I was looking for Chardonnay vineyards. So that's what brings me to that the story about trying to find good high end Chardonnay vineyards. So the the method of Chardonnay is barrel aged, okay. uh, barrel fermented, and whole cluster pressed. Whole so those cluster. are the key words. So you take the grapes fresh, you know, off the vine, we pick at night for all mm-hmm. Pinot Noir and yeah. Chardonnay, which mm-hmm. keeps the, so the vines come in, the fruit comes in very cool and um, saves on energy costs when you have that, cool, you know, grapes, you, you don't have to refrigerate. So we take, with the grapes come in cool, we keep them under carbon dioxide, so they're fresh, just mm-hmm. like handling your fruit from the or vegetables from the market you always you keep you know if they're in that mister and you, you kind of yeah. treat your grapes like you do your you know, produce in the market and so we took that we take the chardonnay in the cool we whole cluster press them we sort out any leaves or any weird you know you know um, inconsistencies in the fruit and we whole cluster press them delicately and we uh, take that juice and settle it for a day or two under cold and under co2 mm-hmm. and we rack that clean juice off of the dirty juice, transferred into barrels. 20% new oak, French oak barrels, and about 80% There's a little older. Dew on this. Yeah, a just a touch, just yeah. to give it a beautiful a lift, but not to overpower it. Yeah. And you know, 20, 25% new oak, and then full malolactic. It is full Most people malolactic. would say, oh, this is obviously not malolactic. There's so much acidity. I agree. When you pick at 3.1 pH, and you end up at 3.3 pH after yeah. malolactic, oh. you still has that gorgeous acidity but um it uh, it's gone through malolactic 100 percent and that's because is the vineyard the grapes i assume have it's cooler vineyard so the grapes aren't quite as ripe and maintain that acidity exactly so then you have more room oh because it's cooler yeah 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 acidity is what do you do with the leaves so we um we take the um the leaves and um, we actually will compost it. We we also have a company that will buy the leaves and but and you do do you do you stir, do, you do it the on leaves. the leaves? The leaves during the in the barrels. Yeah. We we um we don't stir. But what I will do is I'll do one kind of rack and return, which means I've, I that's what I was and I'll, I'll kind of stir it up a little bit and I'll get all mm-hmm. of that leaves off the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. Up to the tank roll it and go back to dirty barrels so it's a rack and return and i'll do that two or three times See, uh, yeah i'll start in november I'm, I'm, december I'm january pissing. february but not much later than that you know after yeah. malolactic is complete in february or march of the following year then it's pretty much um ready i'm not actively stirring it but i'm just giving a little bit of kind of fluffing it up and back how long did you put this up and, th- and this was up in tank yeah. for just for a day and then how many how long in barrel 20 months so Jeez. different. Most people do it. Their technique is about ten months in yeah. barrel, and maybe 30, 40, 50 percent new oak, maybe malolactic, maybe not. That's kind of typical in California, yeah. at least where in our area. Yeah. But but for me, I found keeping uh, full mallow, really good acidity. This I don't know what the alcohol is on this. If you can read that one, twelve point yeah, yeah. zero alcohol. Yeah. 
soft, but not lean and green no. or acidic. I mean, it's a very no. it has a green it's apple a and the aromatics, but yeah. the palate. And again, a great mouthfeel. It's not because Chardonnay can't like if their grapes are too ripe. I find then you kind of get that like flabby. Like if mm-hmm. they, am I right that Chardonnay yeah. is a grape that can lose its acidity quickly? Yeah. yeah. So you can get a very flabby wine, and yeah. this is not like the brightness is needed there, and it makes it just so like you said, it's very refreshing and palate cleansing. And this is something I could just sit on the porch and have with no, I don't need any food. I don't need anything to no, <laughs> enjoy this a, wine. Yeah. yeah that, uh, thank you. I am very proud of the Chardonnay and. Also, another thing that's kind of not understood in the wine-making world, or at least the wine-consumer world, is that Chardonnay is actually more difficult than Pinot Noir to make well. Really? Yeah. You think a red wine, kind of like the tasting um, order of mm-hmm. doing Chardonnay first and Pinot Noir. Yeah. You're like, oh, let's start with some Chardonnay, and then we'll go into a Pinot. Think about it. The Pinot Noir, the Chardonnay is almost the grand finish. It's the finale mm-hmm. in Burgundy. Like the, Some of these great Grand Cru Chardonnays are... $250 a bottle, you wouldn't know it. They're not $20 and then the red Pinot Noir is yeah. $60. It's, it's, it's actually considered just as grand. And so the, the point of the Chardonnay is it, it, it can be, it can hand, hold up to food, it can hold up to nothing, like air. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, air? It's, a, it's a very versatile variety. And I love this Chardonnay too because it smells to me like a Blanc de Blanc, which is a Chardonnay oh, yes, champagne. Yeah. It smells like a champagne. But it, but it, it, but it has that. Like I want to make this into a champagne. Ooh, yeah. Let's do oh, it. we've got we've got <laughs> Ethan down there yeah, from yeah. Rack and Riddle. I know. He, I Ethan's know. here. Yeah, he'll yeah. do it. He's great. This would be just just ridiculous. I'm in. Yeah, Miss Bubbles. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder. I was wondering why she lit up so much about this. Do you make other Chardonnay, or is this the only Chardonnay that you make? So right now, there's two Chardonnays that I make. This one, the H Clock. And Doc's Ranch has one acre block, that beautiful Swan Calera Pinot Noir. There's a small block of Chardonnay, which is from the Hawk Hill uh, Clone 5 uh, cuttings. And that Chardonnay is mind-blowing. Uh, ne- next time, we'll, if you want me back on the show, we'll open the 19 We don't want Doc's you back. Chardonnay. Yeah. We want to come out to the property. Yes. We want out. to come out to the property. Please come out. Yeah. And we read that you also just started making a dry Riesling. That's correct. Okay. Tell us about that. because. Okay. So my, um, my history with Riesling goes back to many, many interns that came from Germany and Austria and New Zealand mm. and Alsace, you know, part, part of yeah. France where they're making lots of Riesling. And the interns from, you know, my late 20s, I was telling you about all the way through, um, I always loved to hire interns from France and Austria and Germany and New Zealand and Australia in Chile and Argentina, but yeah, specifically, their, their they, they bring their Riesling bottles, and then we talk uh, shop, and then they're like, gosh, you guys should be planting Riesling here. And <laughs> think after a good. while, it's, I think it's my, a good oh, place. So, but it's hard. Similar, Especially out where you are. Similar right? to the Chardonnay um, uh-huh. problem, there's no good Riesling planted. Everyone plants it's Pinot Noir. Because yeah. right. you can make the most money per ton. And then Chardonnay, and then Riesling is, I mean, even... You know, a, ten years ago, it was eight hundred dollars a ton county, you know, average of riesling. It was yeah. just like, so riesling. The, no one, no, not as many people are drinking it. It doesn't have a great reputation because people think of it as like the sweet, kind of cheap. Yeah, oh, yeah. for how what many, you get yeah, here. Yeah, how many times have we mentioned riesling to friends and they go, "Oh, I don't, I like don't drink sweet wine. I yeah. don't like yeah." So, so a dry riesling is it's no fantastic. residual sugar. So, what I've learned over the well, I've known this since I was younger. But uh, Lazy Creek Winery up in um, 
in Anderson Valley. Okay. Lazy Creek Winery had Riesling, Gewurz Demeanor, um, also Pinot Blanc, and Pinot Noir. Mm. And they're I right next their door Gewürz to... Demeanor. Yeah. I love that. Me oh. too. And Navarra Winery has Navarra. made some excellent wines as well. Right next door to Rotor Estate is, mm. is a vineyard called Vonnerberg, which yes. I've been making for Cobb 16, 17, 18, all the way through. And the Vonnerberg is the old Lazy Creek site the mother's maiden name of the Hans Kobler and his wife is Miss Vonnerberg. So Mrs. Vonnerberg survived her husband, Hans Kobler, who my father has known since the late 70s. Um, Hans Kobler was a chef in, the, in San Francisco and in, in, um, in uh, Oakland. Anyways, so Vonnerberg Riesling is a beautiful site, um, two different clones of, of Riesling, and so that became available, and Re Noah uh, from Reeve and I shared that vineyard over the mm. last years, and Arista as well, as well gets a little bit of that as well. Mm. They, they have the contract, and we've been getting the Vonnerberg Riesling since 16, 17, 18, 19 on, oh. and completely dry, and gorgeous aromatics, and... Everybody that comes from Arista talks about this Riesling. Mm. That's a beautiful, it's a beautiful site. So from there is the Coal Ranch, which is up in, it's a coal ranch Appalachian, which is Mendocino County, but okay. it's up in the 1,200 foot elevation. Very cool, beautiful site. Over when you're taking um, the road over from uh, Cloverdale, Ukiah, that is over to Anderson Valley. Yeah, and you go over that pass, and this we just, went through there. Yeah, it's, it's there's nothing there, but then no. there's this 20 acre <laughs> Appalachian slash vineyard. It's the only vineyard in the area, so it's the Appalachian name is. The vineyard name it's called oh, Cole, okay. Cole Ranch, and Cole so Ranch. started starting in nineteen. We started for Cobb started making Cole Ranch um, Riesling, phenomenal. So we, that's that's gotten us into another oh, de vineyard designate. Yeah. And then locally here in Sonoma County, up on Cherry Ridge Road, the old Barlow property up on Cherry Ridge Road off mm -hmm. of Mill Station, so west north of Sebastopol. Abigail's Vineyard is a new vineyard that we we've, we've taken grafted some old twenty five year old Pinot Noir vines, uh -huh. a portion of it. To Riesling, using the cuttings from Vonnerberg. Oh, and, and that's so right in between um, Sebastopol and Occidental okay. is um, the Abigail's Vineyard, and we have another another um, vineyard designate coming out next year. So that's um, yeah, exciting. It's, it's fun, and they're all dry, and they're all crisp. They're barrel aged in older Chardonnay barrels. Okay, so it gives you kind of a nice aromatic lift. Mm -hmm. I was gonna say, is Riesling harder to grow here? Or not, not here, but we're, you know, Sonoma Coast area, Mendocino. It's not a difficult variety to grow. It's very susceptible to botrytis, to okay. the mold that gets, yes. you know, the kind of crystal-y mold that you get. But that is an attribute with Riesling. Yeah. Right. And so what I I've so. learned early on with the Riesling from Vonnerberg, the first year we got the fruit in, in 16, it was just almost 100% botrytis. It was like every cluster oh. had that pink, crystal-y yeah. botrytis on it. Noble rot, as yes. I say. Yeah. Noble, noble rot. Country. As it, yes. Sonia <laughs> says I have noble rot, but I don't, I'm not real sure. With, uh... <laughs> we, so we, 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 what we did at the sorting table at the winery, making this Vonnerberg Riesling, is we sorted out all the botrytis, and then we had the, the, the cleanest fruit we could, which was a quarter of it. We pressed that through, and then uh, like half, you know, pressure, and then opened up the door of the press I love it. and put that botrytis in. And I had a tea so I could separate the 
cleaner juice and the botrytis root because I was worried it was going to be so you know, yeah. Off, yeah. weird. Yeah. And I first little press off of that, it was, it was liquid gold. It was so beautiful. And so we, so he was we I never used that sauterns. second team. I didn't, yeah. And I, and I combined those two. I didn't never separate no, you them. Didn't. De never separated them. It's all one juice. Oh. And that's my 16 Vonnerberg on. Holy and I learned. Smoke. And of course, after this, I learned, oh, yeah. You know, there are all these references to German recent producers that are like 50 to 70. And they would use botrytis? And they'd go dry as well, completely dry. No so, residual So sugar. I think it's important because we have lots of new listeners. Yeah. I think it's really important to kind of explain a little bit the impact of botrytis and what it is. Because yeah. we have, you know, until we started learning wine, we didn't know what noble rot was. Yeah, yeah. So botrytis <laughs> is, is a is naturally occurring a mold that, that when the grapes start to crack and become ripe and you know when they're getting it they make the grapes ugly they make the grapes look ugly it's a considered a flaw for 90 percent of the winemaking world yeah, so yes. even though it's the most expensive wine in the world but then you take these rieslings and they there's examples go from tokai in mm -hmm. in hungary yeah. right mm -hmm. where which yeah. is one of my travels to tokai and oh. if you can go to oh. mod the town ma of course with an umla d and uh, Tokai, some of the best wines that actually overshadow Chateau de Cam and the Sauternes, really? but just by by um, economics, you know, or like yeah and, yeah, and distribution. But some of those wines were actually considered the, the highest quality wines of all of Europe in you know the 1600s, 1700s, wow. and that's that's where the the Romans would go there first, not to Sauternes, you know. So. Oh, Nobody yeah. thinks oh, they, they would. Yeah, yeah. they go up. That was the considered <laughs> the better market. It's all marketing. That's where it all started, yeah. you know, yeah. Austria. Well, even. Um, what was that grape? You and I were we talked about it one time on a deal. It started in Austria, became a noble grape. Yeah. Not from uh, Pinot Gris. Well, no. Pinot, Pinot Gris mm -hmm. and Pinot Grigio. It actually started in Austria, mm -hmm. went to Tolkien, mm -hmm. became a noble grape, went to France, became Pinot Gris, yep. and then went to Italy. Yeah. Yeah, and it, which grape. is Pinot Grigio. Uh -huh. it is, yeah, Pinot yeah. Grigio. Yeah. It's a very interesting. So, so the different regions of France that have the um, uh, uh, Riesling grown and Botrytis grown, they've learned. Um, for example, in Tokai, they take this these little Botrytis little crystally berries that have just. I mean, look at it; it looks like it's just yeah. wasted grapes. They go through with these little backpack, those wicker backpacks, and they pick with tweezers, and they do t one, two, three, four different well, passes. Well, no wonder the it's vineyard. the most expensive yeah. wine. And they in pick the world. them in there. And one of those things is called petunia. is is one of those big wicker kind of uh, shell looking, long shell looking backpacks right. where they I throw see. the grapes in, and that's a petunia. And what they say, uh, six petunia means. It takes six of those to fill one bottle of wine. Oh my god! It's gosh. so concentrated, like liquid gold. Because it's very luscious. Yeah. And you know, I never knew why sauternes were so expensive. Well, three petunia is it takes three to make a bottle. For, oh my And word. these wines are, I mean, literally liquid gold. So Petritus and Riesling go back, that you know, thousands of years. Yeah. And so what we're learning here, and I, I. Found myself a little naive when I thought I'd have to separate the two. Because, yeah. but, but, and I also was worried it was going to become a sweet, you know, wine yeah. that yeah. wouldn't go dry. Yeah. But yeah. it went completely dry. That's crazy. No residual sugar. I'd have lost a bet on and that. It's, and the aromatics are just gorgeous. And well, what the botrytis does, right, is it basically causes the grape to lose the juice, so it condenses or draws it out to the skin. The juice, so it is condenses what I heard. the yeah. sugar concentration within the grape. Is exactly. That correct? I kind of like my analogy so, that makes sense to me is is um, crystallized ginger, 
And it's oh. kind of like that. It's like this crystally. Oh. It looks like crystal, and it's like this concentrated kind of dried up. Intensifies the flavor. Yeah, like when you when you dehydrate fruit, like if you take mangoes. Yeah. It's like a dehydrated, That's and so it's very little liquid, yeah. and so it's very concentrated. So the sugar percentages go high, so you can get these wines that are, maybe they start at, ten percent alcohol, if it was all water and ju- normal mm-hmm. water juice ratio. That makes be. sense. You know, I heard in 1909, I was reading this book, and in 1909, the number one varietal in Napa was Riesling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. if you think about it, Hagen, Beringer, Benziger, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Krug, those guys were, they were all Germans, you know? Over yeah. here, we got the Italians. Yeah. And, and, then and hung- Hungarians. And Hungarians, yeah. 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 yeah, lots lots of um, the immigrants. And, and so it's like like many cycles of varieties. We have Chenin Blanc, which yeah. was the largest acres in California in the 60s. That's and, right. Okay. And, then, That's and right. then they start slowly replanted it with Cab yeah. and Merlot and then Pinot Noir. We did, we did a Chenin Blanc with Viognier. Yeah. Blend. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It was really good. Love it. It isn't like you talk about it's the cycles like what becomes popular mm-hmm. and then they pull out other mm-hmm. other things and do I mean as someone who knows the science behind it probably should be more about how the climate's changing the weather's changing probably mm-hmm. as opposed mm-hmm. to popularity <laughs> right I mean we we um we like as winemakers to make what we love but we also have to think about what the yeah. population's gonna yeah. yeah especially when you're making larger production yeah. with cob wines I'm only about 4,000 cases okay. it's our average um and uh I'd like to make wines that I love mm-hmm. that I love to drink with my family and um and my friends and colleagues yeah. and but also um wines that reflect all the research i did when i was in france yeah. you know i've been to yeah. bulgaria which is right on the black sea to mm-hmm. taste uh, my wife lived uh, worked there um, um years ago and uh have you been to montenegro either? I, I haven't mm-hmm. i'm on to. the phone every day with a, a guy that's for, that is in montenegro beautiful black sea yeah david's yeah. favorite european city yeah. that, i've heard this Meredith. favorite european city i've heard it. Ever been to. georgia republic right on the the east side of the black sea is you know the oldest grapevine oldest winemaking grapevine so like i mean just i don't know how many varieties they have but hopefully um I, someday i'll get over to georgia republic. yeah I've me met, too. A, met a few people from there We can't thank you enough. We know we've taken up a lot of your time, Um, but we can't thank you enough for coming out and chatting about it. Let people know, where can they find your wines? I know you have a website, but... You may not have many. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, we make uh, 4,500 cases. Um, Please um, go to our website, cobwines.com, and um, you can call Damon or Andy in the the office there, and they can take your order. We'd love your business um we um we are very small you know family started winery family winery with my mother and father and um we'd love your support but yeah we're we're um just uh really happy with this 18 vintage Pinot Noir it's unbelievable I tell her you got it this is the kind of wine you want to drink and next time we're going to come visit you out at your location we love to sit up and see the ocean in the backdrop I can handle that I can handle that you can also go to um, our Instagram Cobb Wines and there's some 
unbelievable photos. We've had our oh, good. Uh, friend Rashid has done phenomenal photos of and um, and uh, drone um, photos Ooh. from above the vineyard. So good. It's a, it's a fun look. Gets get a history of our family winery and yep. I can't wait. We'll, we'll definitely do that. Thank you so much Thanks for being so here much, today. Thanks so much, It was awesome. awesome. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for having me. listening to this episode of Major Crush. We want to offer up a special note of gratitude to Mary Taylor of Mary Taylor Wines for introducing us to our latest crush, Ross Cobb. But we also want to thank Ross once again for sharing so many great stories with us and for allowing us to experience his wines. Be sure to check out our show notes for this episode to find a link to the Cobb Wines website because you're going to want to try these wines for yourself. We'll be back next week with a brand new interview, so if you haven't already, be sure to like and subscribe. Until next time.